Hello, bonsoir and welcome to the Get French Football News Show. I'm Nathan Staples and joining me this evening are Jeremy Smith, Rich Allen and Tom Williams. I know it seems like the season has been a little rushed to a conclusion and the characters seem to flip quickly as it comes to the end. But at the end of the day, there should be no more petitions to rewrite the league and campaign at least. But who's turned evil in the closing moments and who has made that heroic sacrifice? All of that and more after the latest headlines. Everyone got that Saturday evening treatment in the penultimate league uh, weekend. So we start with Lille, who put on a real show with a 5-0 thrashing of Angers to cement second place. A double from Nicolas Pepe means that Les Deux will be in the group stage draw of the Champions League next season. Joining them in the competition will be Lyon, who secured third place thanks to their own strong 4-0 win over relegation-threatened Caen. The Normandy side are still in the relegation playoff zone, two points from safety and two points above the trap door. Dijon will need a win on the final day of the season and hope Caen loses. They lost 4-0 themselves against champions Paris Saint-Germain. Kylian Mbappe scored twice to move on to 32 for the season, but he would have many more headlines come Monday morning. Monaco are all but safe after winning their six-pointer with Amiens 2-0. Radamel Falcao and Alexander Golovin made sure that the only a crazy turn of events on the final day would see them go down. While Amiens may need more than a point on Friday to guarantee their own league and longevity. Saint-Étienne also qualified for Europe as they held on to fourth place with a 3-0 victory over Nice that combined with Montpellier's one-all draw with non-allows lay their passage to the Europa League. Already relegated Gagup salvaged a little pride as they drew 2-2 with Nîmes. Paulo Sosa now has a Bordeaux record of six straight defeats as they fell 1-0 to Reims. Rennes uh, got back to winning ways as they won 2-0 over fellow European side Strasbourg. And Marseille are at least trying to entertain to finish the se- season, winning 5-2 in what could be Rudy Garcia's final game in charge. On Sunday, the UNFP Awards were gifted out but they were kind of overshadowed by Mbappe's revealing speech after winning player of the year foreshadowing his wish to increase his power at the Prot de Prince this summer and that's all for now but to keep up to date with all the news in the world of French football head on over to our website at www.getfootballnewsfrance.com and follow us on Twitter at GFFN we start this week where we probably didn't predict predict to be going sort of off the pitch with Mbappe's speech and just to quickly quote what he actually said at the time he said I feel like it's time for me to have more responsibility maybe here in Paris I would be happy or maybe somewhere else in any case thanks everyone Tom it's an interesting statement to make in an interesting place to do it as well and that although some Media outlets have said today that he's happy in Paris and he's basically wanting maybe a bit more say in the dressing room and potential incomings. But it's it's quite the statement for the tour in the year, regardless. Yeah, I mean, curious timing um, and a curious decision to decide to do it uh, there and then. You know, an award ceremony right at the end of the season, and it. Yeah, I, I'm still struggling to get my head around what exactly it was that he was trying to achieve from it. Um, I mean, this this notion that he wants more responsibility can be interpreted in all sorts of different ways and it it struck me that he decided that he wanted to create some kind of suspense about the possibility of him leaving PSG this summer but realized that he couldn't just come straight out and and do that so he kind of tacked on this responsibility line and I I'm really not sure what he's getting at there because you know he's already playing in the, in the position that he wants to play in. It's clear that he's going to be PSG's main man going forward in terms of leading the line. Um, you know, he, he couldn't really have asked much for much more in terms of support from the club. Um, and uh, yeah, you know, it's been suggested that um, had, had um, Zinedine Zidane returned to Real Madrid slightly earlier in the season, Mbappe might not have been quite so forthcoming in, in, committing his future to the to PSG um 
So I wonder whether this represents a, a, a you know, a desire on on his part and on the part of his entourage to sort of row back a little bit from that. Um, but yeah, and then followed up as as you said this evening by PSG putting out a statement where they, they said very clearly, very unequivocally that he wasn't going anywhere. Um, so yeah, strange timing. Yeah, and it all seems a little bit unusual, Richard. We've mentioned that. It's going to be a big summer regardless of Paris Saint-Germain. There's plenty of holes to be plugged and players to be moving on and uh, aims to reach FFP rules. It seems like it, an unusual time to be committing an ultimatum and sort of saying that he wants improvements in the squad. Well, that's kind of what we're expecting to see, at least in some shape or form this summer. Yeah, I mean, I suppose from a wanting to read a little bit too much into it and looking for a bit more... Um, a bit more of the dramatic side of things, maybe, but it, it felt a bit more of a, a bit like a, a power move, really, from Mbappe. We'd had <clears throat> only a couple of weeks ago Neymar pretty much going along with the same line that he wanted more responsibility, tantamount to he wanted the captain's armband, um, and, and Thomas Tuchel coming out and saying, Look, you know, we've got a lot of leaders in the team. This felt like a move from Mbappe to say, Well, you know what, back me then. Back me as your as, as as the the main man, you know we've got a, a a group of big name players in this team. I'm gonna I'm gonna say something like this. It's 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 sort of tossing the old grenade into a crowd kind of thing. Of <clears throat> I'm gonna say this. It's gonna get all the press coverage. You're gonna either have to come out and back me, or there's gonna be a lot of lot of uh, rumors going into the going into the summer. So. It's forced PSG to come out with this statement. I don't think it's particularly left um, a great taste from PSG's point of view. It's not the kind of thing they wanted overshadowing the end of the season and especially the awards ceremony where there was already talk with with Neymar's absence and his preference for, I think he was at a fashion show or something with with Rihanna uh, instead. That didn't leave a great great look from, from my point of view, but... From an, from an Mbappe perspective, it, as I say, it felt for me like a power play move. He wants the club now to back him. He wants, by all, by all accounts, he wants to be the number nine. It seems as though that that's he's going to get that wish. Um, but it, it very much was a case, I think, of Mbappe saying, I am the main man and now it's time for you to show it. Yeah, and when two egos collide like that, it's, it's always predicting to do fireworks. And I don't think we all blame Neymar for missing a, an appointment to go and see Rihanna. I certainly wouldn't blame him <laughs> in any shape or form. But it was an interesting choice by him regardless, Jez, unless this was something that he'd, he'd obviously already planned out and, and decided to have, have missed the awards. But it seems almost like a, 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 a strength battle between these two. And unfortunately, it's, it's starting to look like, even though financial-wise, whether that someone can prize either of them away, given the fees that you would have to pay, is unless they sort of waited with players, etc., and, 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 and others the like, to, to do so. But it's, it's kind of coming to a head that one of them will probably have to go at some point. Yeah, I think um, with all the, that seems to have gone wrong with PSG over the last two, three months since that Man United defeat, um, possibly the one thing that a lot of United fans have been clinging, uh, PSG fans rather, have been clinging to is that the, this relationship between Neymar and Mbappe has always seemed so good. And possibly this is the first time that there is going to be a bit of tension and a bit of uh, kind of ego tripping there going forward. Um, I think that... <laughs> We've, we've spoken so many times before about how well Mbappe carries himself, how eloquent he is in interviews, that kind of thing. But the one thing that, that often does seem to make him bristle is when people sort of talk of him as, as, as a youngster and, oh, you're the first teenager to do this, the first 20-year-old to do that. So I, th I think that he was really trying to make a point. I'm not just a, an amazingly talented kid. I am a, you know, a serious footballer. Uh, treat me as such. And, and a lot of people say he's not one of the... You know, the way that a lot of clubs have got a sort of kind of brains trust of two or three players who are always the ones that you know, maybe uh, negotiate bonuses or, or whatever it might be. Mbappe never has been one of those people, but I think maybe he's saying, I, I deserve to, to, to be there to, to, to really be seen as one of the senior players, even if it's not the case in terms of age. Um, he can certainly turn around and say that this season, well, obviously it's, it's not their fault, but with Neymar and Cavani injured, he's been the one that sort of held the four, 32 goals. You can't really complain with the record like that. I mean, he, he mentioned 40 goals across all, 
all competitions and internationally as well. So he's certainly in a powerful position at the moment. And um, yeah, with, with Neymar not being there again yesterday, yes, he doesn't need to be there. Yes, he didn't need to be there last year when when PSG were, um, won the title. But all these things to point to the fact that he's not 100% invested. And Mbappe can, can turn around and say, just look at what I've done for you this year. I've barely missed a match. I'm a kid. I you know, probably should be taking the odd week off. You've barely given me any, but I've still turned up week in, week out. Um, I can understand why why he wants to be seen as... as I mean, it's, it's a ridiculous thing to say about someone who's just one player of the year, young player of the year, and all the titles he's got. But you can understand why he wants to be seen as a bit more of a senior or serious figure within the squad. And if that means a sort of head-on clash with Neymar, firstly, it, it could cause even more problems for PSG. And secondly, from, certainly from my point of view, there should absolutely only be one winner. And if someone has to be shipped out, I think it's got to be Neymar. And that sort of down is coming ever closer. And Tom, it was always going to be a difficult summer anyway for PSG, you know, with the, sticking with him in the FFP rules and, and getting in. Uh, now they're looking at several room midfielders with a couple going out. And realistically, they might be looking at centre-backs as well, given the performances of some at the back this season. So uh, essentially, this summer becomes possibly the biggest under the, the QSI era. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's turning into a, a boom or bust sort of moment for them, isn't it? Yeah, um, and and even before you you bring Mbappe and, and Neymar and and you know where where they might potentially see their futures lying into the equation, um, it was already going to be a massive summer. I mean, you know, from the minute that you know the minute that um, that Rashford stuck that that penalty away at, at part of their prance for Man United in the Champions League, you know, the the, the whole image of PSG season just just changed very dramatically. Um, the squad clearly has has several very obvious shortcomings, uh, most notably in central midfield, but also at centre-back and, um, you know, various other areas of the team. Um, and, yeah, it's, you know, we seem to get to this point with PSG quite quite frequently at, in that, you know, that they very often go into, into seasons talking about the final pieces being uh, added to the puzzle, um, only to find themselves nine months later talking about almost having to, to start all over again. Um, and yeah, I, I think it'd be very interesting to see, you know, what what they do this summer, how much success they're able to get in the transfer window, um, and at a time when an awful lot of the clubs are, are are undergoing major rebuilds. I mean, Real Madrid most notably, you know, Bayern Munich as well. You know, Juventus have kind of, you know, to, to the end of a cycle. You know, Manchester United. Um, so you know, there's going to be an awful lot of pressure uh, in the transfer market for the sorts of players who who PSG are trying to attract. Um, and yeah, you know, given the given the threat of, of FFP, and, you know, we have seen reports in the past that selling one of Mbappe and Neymar, you know, might at some point come into consideration. Um, you know, given the, given the amount of work that the squad requires, um, you know, if, if we do get to a point where one of those players looks like they might be edging towards the exit, perhaps that does become a bigger factor than, than perhaps any of us thought it, it would be previously. Yeah, it, it all starts to pile up, doesn't it? I mean, the goalkeeping situation with Kevin Trapp coming back on loan, it, what's going to happen between the three keepers? You can't keep them all on. In fact, it's going to be a struggle to keep even two of them on, if, given that Ariola may be annoyed if, a, if he's sort of ousted out from his number one spot. And then you think that uh, right back, Danny Alves isn't getting any younger and Tom Amunier is sort of shaping for a move at s- somewhere. There's there's Tilo Kera who's had a, an awful season and Kim Pembe has gone backwards and lost the trust of Tuchel reportedly. And then you think that Juan Benat's had an, an OK second half of the season, but is he really the answer at left back? There's pretty much only Verratti in midfield, you might say. Paredes has been pretty awful and Rabiot's going to be going out the door and and etc and then it's only really up front where they've actually got players that might stick around even though Cavani might be on his way as well and then like you say to to satisfy FFP they might try and get one of one of Neymar and Mbappe and then can anyone afford them this really the more important thing can they meet an asking price that Paris Saint-Germain are going to ask for which is going to it has to be around the 200 million euro part that they they paid for for Neymar even if it isn't Mbappe heading for the for the door at some point but uh, rich let's let's go back to the actual awards themselves at least anyway and we'll focus sort of on the on the team of the year it, it was it, it, 
great to see a number of players in there, like Mike Menon get the goalkeeper of the season. He's well-deserved across a number of goalkeepers. But is there a couple of questionable choices in there for you? Maybe in defence, maybe in midfield? Uh, there was for me. Um, it was probably a team of the season that I've had fewest gripes with um, in recent times. I think for me, there's probably only three probably positions that I would I would question. Um, I, I would perhaps question that centre-back pairing of, of Silva and Marquinhos. They, they have had a good season. They've had a great season. Um, but it would have been nice, never going to happen, but it would have been nice for, you know, some of the other... We've, we've had a lot of very tight, very well-organised defences in Liga this season. You know, you look at the likes of Rams, you look at the likes of Nice, um, who've been you know, very, very well organised at the back. Even Lille, you know, you look at the impact that, that someone like Jose Fonts had at, at, at Lille. He's been brilliant, I thought. It would have been nice, I think, to have seen some of some of those kind of players recognised. And then in midfield, I think Undombele may be a fraction on the lucky side. It's, I don't think he's been anywhere near as impactful as he was last season. And Verratti, um, again... Uh, I have I have my issues with Verratti in terms of how good he actually is and how much progression he's actually made in the last three or four seasons because I really don't think he's reached the level that he could have reached. Um, so I think a player like Savanier, who obviously is leading the, the assist ranking, can feel very unfortunate not to have been included in there, but I feel it's all, it's all quite minor gripes. I think overall... Um, you know, it's 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 an eleven that makes some sense. Whereas certainly we've seen in in the last few years, we've seen in teams of the season where there's been like, what on earth are they thinking? <laughs> I'm putting those players in. So it was an eleven. I think that overall makes sense. But I think it would have been nice. As I say, it's never going to happen. But it would have been nice. I think just to look outside of outside of PSG maybe because it it really doesn't perhaps paint the the, the picture that we want the picture to be painted in terms of there is depth in Liga and beyond the runaway champions. Yeah, and coming on to sort of the, the both the main awards really won by Mbappe, but Jez, the, the managerial award went to Christophe Galtier. And we've sort of mentioned all season that there's maybe three, four or even five candidates for, for this award. But realistically, it has to go to someone that turns relegation candidates into Champions League group stage the team in, in a year. Yeah, there's a few decent candidates. Um, you know, Guillaume Lore for winning the Coupe de la Ligue. I, I think um, Vieira has done a, an extremely underrated job at, at Nice, for example, as well. But yeah, I think Galtier, I think it would have been a complete injustice if he hadn't got it, what he's done. And not only turning the, the relegation candidates into, into second place, but also the style of football that, that he's played. Which, you know, for the most part, I've been the the best team to watch in the game this year, um, you know, putting five past PSG is obviously not to be sniffed at. And yeah, I, I think it was it was a no-brainer that one, despite some some really good other candidates. Yeah, credit to him. He's done a fantastic season and it's great to see Lille get Champions League football. Let's head back to things on the field then and into the relegation fight that's uh, almost coming to its conclusion, there wasn't quite the twist in the tail, Tom, that we've had in the last couple of weeks. In fact, probably the last month or a half, really, where it's been chopping and changing. And this week was a little bit more cut and dry. And one team that will be really happy after this weekend is Monaco. They won that, what was a, a sort of relegation six-pointer, at least for them, two against Amiens. Um, they got the win that they needed. It gives them a good gap in terms of goal difference as well as points. They're three points ahead of Con with a, the, ahead of the final game of the season. And they have a good seven goals on them. So they've been an almighty swing and results really going their way for them to end up even in the relegation playoff places. And at least it's job done for Jardim is maybe the way to put it because they went seven games without a win and have sort of really stumbled over the line, but at least they've got there. Yeah, I mean, if you think back to, you know, the way that the team responded to Jardim's return, um, which obviously went hand in hand with the new recruits all coming in in January. And, it, you know, it, it looked like Monica might even be looking at, a, a you know, a top half finish at some point. Um, and if you'd said then that, you know, that they'd be approaching the last two games of the season, having not yet secured their survival, you would have wondered what had gone wrong. Um, so, yeah, I think it'll be it'll be a massive relief for them to know that they can go into that final game 
um, and, and and know that you know, barring a miracle, they'll they'll be safe. Um, and yeah, I mean, you know, again, very far from vintage Monaco performance. I, mean, I have no idea how Falcao's opener was allowed to stand. When you look at the fact he basically got two hands on on Calidaden on shoulders um, as he as he leaps to, to had the ball in from the corner. Um, but yeah, you know, big big relief for Monaco. Um, and yeah, you know, I, I'm sure they'll be very pleased that you know that they can they can go into that final game and and and, and you know not be looking over their over their shoulders for the first time in you know in in, in a few weeks. Yeah, and, and sticking on that game, Tom. They obviously Amion were just important of getting the the result as well. They remain two points above Con, so they aren't quite safe yet. And really, with their goal difference, if Con were to win and Amion to lose on the final day, and, and Con have got um, a home game against Bordeaux, and and Amion uh, will be facing off um, against a already relegated Gangum. So that they'll be pretty confident of their chances at least still. But they had chances in this game. Benalio kept out a couple of good opportunities and Musa Canate put one wide. They've had a lot of draws recently as well that have kind of kept them ticking but not got them quite over the line. They will just be desperate to get the three points on, on Friday night, won't they? And get this over and done with because really they've been good enough to, to get themselves away and they've not just crept over the line yet. Yeah, I mean, you know, you look at Amiens' form as well. I mean, no wins in in nine, um, and you know, Gangon's form is is almost equally miserable. No wins in eight, um, but then you know, Con Bordeaux, you know, okay, Con, you know, lost that lost that run of that bit of momentum they'd picked up with that with that defeat against Lyon on, on Saturday. But I, I don't imagine they'll have lost too much sleep about that. And given the way that Bordeaux are going, you know, as you said in the intro, six straight defeats, you can quite easily see Con picking up all three points there. And suddenly that does put the pressure on Amiens to have to get something at, at Gangol. Um, and I was actually, I was, you know, I was looking at the um, the rules that come into play to separate teams uh, that are locked on the same number of points. Um, and there's, there's, there's quite a surprising one. I mean, it, you know, first of all, it's it's overall goal difference, which you'd expect, and there are various head-to-head configurations. But if you sort of go down the list, and um, Amiens can are sort of similar enough records to, to, to imagine that they could end up on the same number of points and with comparable goal differences. The eighth factor that comes into play is the club which has scored the highest number of goals in a single league game this season, um, which I don't think I've ever, I've ever come across in any other um, you know major football championship. Uh, I mean, it, it would take something very peculiar for us to to end up uh, you know having to having to look at that. But um, yeah, I, I think that's going to be a, that's going to be an interesting one. Seeing how seeing how those two teams get on on the final day. Yeah, that would be absolutely crazy. You're right. There, there's only sort of the same goals for, and then only two sort of goals against going against Dijon. Sorry, against a Colm. That that's a very strange one. If it came down to to goal scored in a single game, I don't think uh, Colm will be particularly happy. But um, the the uh, if it was goals against at least anyway in a single game, it might help one side against the other <laughs> yeah. really more than anything in that scenario. But as for Colm, Rich, it, it was. A disappointing result, given their recent form, at least anyway, against the Leon side that they did have chances against when it was nil-nil, and Brice Mondi saved a penalty as well as pulling out a cracking save in the first half, where he sort of almost dived over the ball, but he, he managed to get his hand back to it after a, a bit of a deflection. So they they kept themselves in it for a, for a decent period, but it ran away with them when they were really chasing the game more than anything and trying to get back themselves back into it, but. As Tom mentioned, and as we mentioned in the intro, Bordeaux, have, uh, if they're not already on the beach, they they might be in a gentle coma, really, But as they've been in the, in all season. And it's a real chance for them to get three points and put absolutely enormous pressure on, on Amiens as well. Absolutely. And and this this may sound a little harsh on Khan, but they, they strike me as a sort of cockroach of league. <laughs> they, they, they always seem to survive. They always seem to scrap, and it's never pretty. Yeah, season after season, they're they're in a similar situation that they are now, needing something in the final game. Last two seasons, last two seasons, it's been PSG, and they've they've dug out a result, be it a win or a draw, they've dug out the results that's got them over the line. Um, you can't bet against them doing the same again. They've had an awful season. They play some of the worst football in the league. I think that that that's probably. Um, there's, there's little argument, I don't think, with regards to that. But in this scenario, um, 
you know they've got they've got those issues in the dugout over who's actually in charge. Is it Mercadal um, or not? Um, is, is it Corbis or not? Um, but they they always seem to find a way. So I I wouldn't I certainly wouldn't be betting against. And as you say, the woeful form that Bordeaux are in, I certainly wouldn't be betting against Calm picking up the three points. But of course, perhaps unlike in years gone by a win doesn't necessarily guarantee them. So I can see them getting the win, yes. Um, but I can also see Amion just about doing enough in their final game. You know, Gangon looked looked like a completely different side in the game against Nîmes for the sort of opening 45 minutes or so. And then in, in Gangon's style this season, threw it all away. Uh, you know, they were 2-0 up, I think, at one point. Um, so... I can see Amion just doing enough, but Khan will be putting the pressure on them without a shadow of a doubt, I don't think. Well, I think there's going to be one or two scenarios happening this summer. Either Khan are going to give us a ring for merchandising at the cockroaches of Liga, and <laughs> we're going to get a cease and desist letter from them more than, more than likely to, st- to stop referencing in the, the <laughs> that. But it, the odd one out, really, unfortunately for them at the moment, at least, Jez, it is Dijon. They well, rather unsurprising at least, didn't get anything at PSG and I don't suppose they expected to, but it does leave them in a great conundrum now. They can't get themselves safe at least, but they can still get that um, relegation playoff zone should Con lose and they get a win. The goal difference is pretty vast to say that uh, they can overhaul it that way should Con draw, but um, it's at least open for them on the last day. That's the kind of way they would have wanted it, they'll be a bit disappointed that they've dropped a couple of points here and there towards this last third of the season that really could have saved themselves. But again, very much like the other two, a game against Toulouse is not exactly against a side that's got anything left to really play for. And that's been pretty evident for about 12 or 13 games, really, unless uh, Max Langradell has been involved, really. And it, they were sort of pummeled in the end by, by Marseille at the weekend as well. So... The door's at least open for them, That's and that's the important thing. That's sometimes all you need on the final day. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's nice that they've still got hope, but I think it would be, be quite shocking if they were, if they were to, to somehow survive or get to the, the, the playoff place, which is the, the best they can hope for now. Um, I mean, I can, I can conceivably see all three teams winning, but Dijon, obviously, it's not in their hands. And, and well, Amiens kind of safe just... As regard Dijon and Caen, only really need a point. I think they'll, 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 I think they'll get at least a point. So, whatever Dijon do, I think that it's probably a little bit too much for them. And you know, similarly to Caen, Dijon, the, the last couple of years they've they played really good football, and I'd say they're, they're probably the, the flop of the season in a way because kind of had high hopes that they, they'd sort of they push on. They, they brought in a, a couple of good young players like. Um, Pronounce it, but Luadici, or I don't know if it's a French or Italian pronunciation, players like that. And, and the, there are some talents there. And, and I think maybe on reflection, they they may have regretted getting rid of Dalonio as quickly as they did. Um, but you know, whatever, whatever the reasons, they've been right down there the whole season. And, and um, they couldn't really have too many arguments were they to go down. And I just uh, I can I can definitely see them beating Toulouse. I think if any if I had to put money on one of the bottom three teams not to win at the weekend, I, I could see Gangon getting a bit of a surprise result at, at, at Amiens. But um, yeah, I, I think Dijon have left themselves too much to do. So even with the win, I think they'll probably still finish 19th. Yeah, they lulled us, didn't they, at the start of the season, getting another couple of great wins to say that they were going to emulate what they did last season where they were real home warriors, but that's really been their downfall this season. The fact that they couldn't score goals and they weren't great defensively last season and they've not really improved in that fact has just really annihilated them this season and at least they've got a little bit of hope. And I, I, I am going to go around the houses and see if there is going to be a final twist on the last day and, and get some predictions. Tom, do you think it stays as it is or do you think there's maybe one final um, little twist in the tail? Um, I'm with Jez on this. I, I, can see, I can see all the teams that need wins getting wins, which would leave um, the status quo as it is. Um, I mean, I guess, you know, the, the fact that 
the fact that we're all backing Caen to beat Bordeaux because Bordeaux's form is so dreadful and because Caen have you know had this sort of belated second wind. I mean, usually in football, that that sort of certainty is is usually a decent indication that um, things will not turn out as you expect them to. Um, but yeah, I can I, I can I can see that I can see those teams Amiens Caen. These are all getting all getting the wins they need, um, and, and things remaining as they are. Rich, uh, yeah, I'd agree. I think things will probably, uh, I'd agree as, as as Tom said with Jez in terms of. I think I could probably see all three teams winning, leaving Antoine Comboiro with the slightly unfortunate title of being able to to say he took two teams down in one season, pretty much. Uh, I don't think that's necessarily happened before, so. Uh, yeah, I, I can't see I can't see things changing enough for for Dijon or Khan to uh, to get to safety. Yeah, it'd be a real hammer blow for his reputation, wouldn't it be, if, if Dijon do confirm their relegation? Jez, I, I kind of guess where you're going at least, but I want to add a little bit of spice to yours. And since you've been a, a little bit of a viewer of league football at least this season, is is there any chance that if, for example, if Connor are heading into that relegation playoff, is there anyone in league that will that will give them a right go or has a has a great chance of troubling one of the league and signs in the in the playoff? Yeah, I mean, Troyes have been in fantastic form um, second half of the season. So they're certainly a match for anyone right now. And, and um, Paris FC, obviously there's the, the sort of tantalising carrot of a, of a Paris derby next year where they to go up. But um, they've been so good defensively in Caen, not exactly a prolific free-scoring team. So um, if it was one of those two, then I could definitely see them getting through over over two legs. Lance, I'm not so sure about it. They, they seem so inconsistent and it depends which one turns up. But at the same time, um, you know, the, their, their fans are so good that if they can really get behind them and they can get a result in their, in their home leg, then you never know. But I mean, I'd expect, and certainly if there's injustice in the world, we'll probably get through. And yeah, I, I think they would be kind of two legs. Mm, yeah, uh, just a reminder to everyone then that if, if it is Paris FC versus um, Con, maybe put that one on record and put it on a little bit of a fast forward just in case because it, it, <laughs> might, it might not have too many chances in it should, it should it end up that way. Let's go back to the, the sort of upper echelons of the table because a number of European qualifiers were confirmed. In fact, all of the, the remaining Liga European qualifiers were confirmed. And we'll start with Leon, Tom. They got a great result. Uh, it's great to see Moussa Dembele actually play and start and score goals because we had mentioned last week that he sort of maybe was trying to get others in the, the, the shop window that meant that he wasn't starting games but great result for them but at the same time it's a, it's going to be an interesting summer we now know what the the picture is going to look like with the uh, Juninho in the in the background and Silvino is the the manager it's an inexperienced duo in both roles it's while well, obviously uh, Leon fans have a great affection for for Juninho and that will help him in in the the short term in the medium term it will all depend on results and it, it's a bit of a risk for a club of this size Right, a massive risk. I mean, it's a massive risk. I, 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 it's going to be absolutely fascinating to see how it works um, because, you know, no sooner had Jean-Michel Aulas, you know, announced that Bruno Genesi would be leaving at the end of the season and he was starting to talk about the sort of coach he'd like to bring in and he was saying that his ideal profile would be, um, you know, a former Lyon player, uh, you know, either a, a, a Frenchman or a, at least a French speaker, you know, someone with decent top-level experience, um, and Silvino uh, has, has none of those things. You know, as, as far as as far as far I can tell, he doesn't speak any French as things stand. I'm sure he's probably he's probably swatting up pretty pretty hard already, um, uh, which makes me think that, that Janinho Benambrugana will probably have a fairly broad remit. Um, and, it, yeah, it will be, it will be a, a different dynamic to the one that we've seen um, at Lyon in, in the last few seasons. Um, and... Yeah, yeah. Just interesting to, to to see, you know, how how it's going to work. The dynamic between Silvino and and Juninho. I mean, you know, clearly, you know, Juninho is going to be the, the the main point of contact with with the president and and with his various advisors. Um, and you suspect that Silvino will be left to, you know, to concentrate on on the training ground and, and will be very much a sort of you know, you know, bags of balls and 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 combs uh, coach. Um, 
But yeah, a, a, a pretty striking departure. Um, you know, I was looking back the last time that Lyon had a, a non-French coach was uh, Radika Kovacevic in, in the sort of early early to mid eighties. So uh, a real departure for for Lyon. Uh, and you know, Commissioner Olas said, you know, part of being a businessman is is taking risks, um, and he certainly seems to be taking one here. Yeah, it seems like an unusual appointment. Not necessarily Juninho, Rich. We, we obviously, uh, the, the famous free kick taker is a, a, a big favourite in, in Lyon, and um, he'll be a good man to sort of be that sort of buffer between manager and, and, and the dressing room and uh, the upper echelon of the club, at least anyway. And, and he may take a, a bigger role as it, it goes on. But Olas has put a lot of faith in him as well to, for him to allow him to pick the manager and. and Bring him in as a team. It shows that Olas at least has a a lot of belief in them. So there's a lot of pressure on those shoulders straight away, depending on if they get in the Champions League or group stages or not, depending obviously how the, the Europa League final finishes. And and obviously to have a, a summer where they get value for money for players and also bring uh, a quality back in as well. It's a it's a tough job and uh, and for someone Nick, who's not really been in that kind of role before despite his affection for, for Leon, it's going to be, it's going to be tough. Yeah. I mean, at least, you know, Janino is going to know how Olas works. There's, there's, there's a relationship, a pre-existing relationship there. <clears throat> um, you know, so he wouldn't have been surprised to have seen Olas come out in classic Olas style to say, yes, I'm the one that started negotiations that invited PSG into the negotiations for, for Undombele, which, you know, if you're a manager, you're pulling your hair thinking, why is my president saying this? What on earth is going on here? Janino's going to know that. Janino's going to expect that. Um, as, as Tom mentioned, I think what's going to be really interesting here is to, to see how the relationships play out. You know, Silvino is going to be so heavily reliant on Janino and his knowledge of, of the squad and his relationship then in turn with, with Olas. But you've got a lot of senior people uh, 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 at Leon, you've got Florian Maurice, you've got Bernard Lacombe, you've got Gerard Houllier, you've all got the ear of, of Olas. You've now added Janino into the mix. Um, it, it's going to be really interesting to see how it plays out, to see who goes from the squad. Um, you know, Olas has apparently said that he's promised Janino that only one or two big name players would go, and that seemingly isn't on Ballet and, and, and Nabil Fakir. Um, I would, I don't know how much you know, faith I would put in that word, and and I suppose it depends whether you count players like Memphis Depay as big big name players or not. Um, but it's 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 a it's one that we I don't think anybody saw coming. Janino, I think possibly we saw playing some part. He'd been he'd been linked for some time, I think, to to come into some at some point of the Leon structure, be it at a at a youth training level. Um, not necessarily at a sporting director level. That's quite a senior position for, for him to come in at. But then Silvino, you know, I mean, that's as left field as you could possibly get in terms of a of, a, of an actual day-to-day first-team coach. Um, you know, he's got experience with the Brazilian setup. He's got experience working with uh, managers like, like Roberto Mancini. Um, but this is obviously a big step up. Uh, Leon fans, as we've seen towards the end of Genesio's days, are a very demanding bunch. And despite everything that PSG do, Leon fans seem to believe that they should be pushing PSG close, which, you know, I have my own thoughts and opinions on that. Um, so it, it's the pair of them have really been thrown in at the deep end. Janino will get a little bit um, longer on the honeymoon period purely because of who he is and the club he's at. But it's it, it potentially could be a real baptism of fire, I think, for for Silvino, and of course that in turn ref, will reflect on on Olas. Um, you know, he came out recently to say that you know he before he steps away from Lyon, he wants to, you know, he wants to bring more trophy success. He wants to win the league again. Um, this is a very curious appointment. I've, I don't think anybody's going to know how it's going to turn out. Partly because we don't really know what Lyon as a, as a squad's going to look like. Come. Um, match day one next season, so it's it's a it's certainly a move that's going to bring even more interest, I think, to to Leon and their summer activities. Mm, yeah, it's going to be really interesting. And on Silvino, uh, Rich has touched on it already, Jez, that he's 
he's had experience, obviously, at Inter Milan as a, an assistant and as a, a technique coach, as they sort of called it, and, and an assistant at Brazil, as well as doing the under-23s role, uh, sort of combining the two. He's obviously a well-known name in England as well. Had a good time at Arsenal and Manchester City, sort of a more of a bit-part player, really, and even a, a long period at Barcelona, where, again, he was not really a starter, you would say, more of a, a sort of a, a backup, really, which sometimes you see in coaches, to be fair, but he's got a lot of top-level experience. So at the same time, while this is his first managerial role and it's really jumping in the deep end, he's had experience at, at big clubs in the past and he's had experience even a coaching role in bigger setups because uh, if if there's anywhere bigger than Brazil, really, to be coaching in, in terms of an international club, I, I'd like to see it, really, more than anything, but it's... It, no matter, that's at least going to help him in these first couple of months. But it's a big job. He's, as a as a player and and in his small career as a coach, he's, he's worked with some some fantastic players and some fantastic coaches. So you know, he's bound to have taken a lot of that kind of thing on. But there's been so many cases, even with some of um, what looked like the, the top coaches in the in the world, going back to people like. Brian Kidd under, under um, Ferguson here and, and uh, Paul Clement, who obviously has always done such a great job coaching under Angelotti. But when it comes to them taking the, the, the main job, um, they've suddenly been found wanting. So it's such a big risk for Silvino because even in his coaching career, he's never been the head coach. And I guess that that's where the, the thinking comes that, that, that Juninho is, is going to um, take some of those um sort of head coach responsibilities off him um, and, and, the, and then they'll share the job. But then Janino also hasn't really got that much experience as a, as a, got any experience as a sporting director either. So you, it doesn't matter that he's a, he's a club legend. If, if they're not getting the results, he might not get the same kind of stick that other people get. But he, they can only really be judged on results. Um, so it's a huge risk and it's, it's fascinating on Onas' part because uh, for all the reasons that Tom said, that Silvino kind of doesn't tick any of the boxes that, that Onas made a big play about, but also just the fact that Onas clearly is, looks to be taking a step back. It was, by all accounts, it was entirely Juninho's cool that, that Silvino was appointed and may or may not have been sort of the deal breaker for Juninho coming in. And so for, for Onas to to give someone that kind of power, even if it was sort of, you know, probably the legendary player of his, of his tenure as president, to, to, to not be undermined, but to, to very publicly say, I'm letting someone else make such a huge choice for the club that I've run for the last 20 years, is, is really fascinating, I think, and, and certainly seems to be the, the, the first indication that, that well, that's maybe on his way out, but the concern is that there's a there's a lot of chiefs there, and um, that there, there's rumours that that uh, Morris is, is is thinking of leaving, and I, I think he's done a, a very underrated job as recruiter. That that one could be interesting because he's an ex teammate of Silvino at, at Celta Vigo, so uh, I, I don't know if he had a say in, in Silvino coming in, but possibly Leo were relying on on that kind of previous connection helping to be a settle as well. Um, should should yeah, but there's a lot of people there who aren't used to sort of allowing others to make decisions and, and you wonder if at some point something's gonna break there. So it yeah, it's fascinating. And whether it works or doesn't work, I think you know going to be possibly rivaling uh, PSG for the sort of so proper side of, of, of the yeah. Yeah, it's not necessarily going to be boring, at least anyway. And the, the, I think the, the the sigh of re- collective relief that it won't be a, a, a Mourinho season, at least at Lyon, will be we've sort of heard through through the channel, I think, more than anything. But uh, <laughs> let's, let's go to the other side that we're chasing them, but fell short. But at the same time, they, they've got European football for first time in a, in, a, in a good few seasons, Tom, in Saint-Etienne. They've had a terrific season, but they've had a, a sort of bombshell today because Jean-Louis Gasset will not be returning as manager. It's believed that he's going to be retiring to spend more time with his family. Montpellier had offered him sort of a, a role further upstairs, but he's declined it to, to stay up. It's been a great season for him and it's it 
would be a real disappointment for Santetti, and especially a number of their players who might even go as well. It's it, it's sort of a, a, a bitter pill to swallow now that they're going to be facing a Europa League potentially with a, a completely different squad and, and definitely a completely different manager. Yeah, it's a pity. Um, you know, I think Santetienne's resurgence in, in in many ways has been the story of, of um, you know, Jean-Louis Gasset, you know, getting to grips with the team and, and getting them on this this upward curve and, and, you know, managing to harness this momentum that's carried them all the way from a relegation battle, which is the situation he inherited when he, when he took over midway through last season, um, to knocking on the door of Champions League qualification. I mean, you know, until they lost at home to Montpellier, um, uh, you know, when was that weekend before last? You know, that they were still an outside chance for, for top three. They've ended up getting top four. Um, you know, fantastic end to the season, some really impressive results. You know, they're Hatton Ben Arthur's favorite team in France, so there's that as well. Everything seems to be moving in the right direction, and then suddenly you get this bombshell that, that Gasset. Um, doesn't want to doesn't want to continue the adventure. And I, I, I found it quite moving actually looking at the, the images of him um, on the lap of appreciation after the game against Nice at the weekend, and you know clearly wanting to take a moment for himself, and obviously mulling over so many different things going through his head. You know he's clearly you know identifies really closely with with the club, and you know you can see how highly he's thought of both by the players, by the fans. Um, and, and as you alluded to, I mean, you know, a number of players have already said that they won't stick around if if Gasset goes, um, you know, Jan and Vila, chief among them. Um, uh, but, you know, it's obviously something that he's given an awful lot of thought to. And, and you know, his, his quotes after the game on Saturday and you know, he was asked about his future and he just kept talking about how tired he was. He just wanted to go home and sleep. And it, like, I, know he's, I know he's 65, but, you know, you, you'd expect there to be a little bit more celebration in the air um, at, at the end of a season like the, the season that Santa, Santa Tien have had. But I suppose it's just an indication of the fact that he, he clearly does feel a bit worn out. Um, you know, we know how attached he is to, to, to Montpellier, his, his hometown. Um, and, you know, clearly... Um, he feels that he's he's gone as far as he wants to go with Saint-Étienne. I suppose what you what you wonder now is whether had he perhaps been given more assurances about how much the squad would be strengthened over the summer, whether that might have persuaded him to stick around. And, and you know, maybe we'll get some clarity on on that over the next few days and weeks. Um, but yeah, a, a pity for for Saint-Étienne. Really, you know, obviously, you know, one of the great names of, of French football, and and here they are, um, you know, back in Europe with a Europa League campaign to look forward to, um, and and suddenly they find themselves. You know, facing quite an uncertain summer um, when ideally they'd have been going into it, you know, looking to build ahead of this new campaign and, uh, you know, and, and make a really, really strong start to, to next season and, and really throw everything they've got into the, into the Europa League. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's an unsavoury one at the same time, Rich. It, it, he was seemingly a bit downtrodden the last couple of weeks and mentioned that, that he's, he, he was going to make talks with the club and they're going to have a sit down on the board and, and mentioning this the size of the squad not being big enough and there was rumours of sort of conflict between him and higher ups and, and the fact that he maybe wanted a little bit more freedom into expanding the squad and, and having a, a better chance at Europe that's maybe those battles have wore him out and convinced him that maybe it is the time to leave and, and go back to his family so it, it's, it'll be disappointing to see him go but at the same time Santetia may have to have a look at themselves and how they're structuring themselves and, and where they want to be as well Yeah I mean it's a bold move from, from Santetia to, to sort of allow him to, to effectively walk away um, you know a number of their key players this season have been very vocal on the fact that their future with the club was directly linked to to Gasset remaining with, with the club you, know, you look at Jan and Veer, who I think has been reborn really since moving back and and, and joining Saint Etienne. I think he's 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 really looked almost back to his very best. I felt um, since since his move since his move back to France. You look at the likes of Matthew Debouchy. I think he's he's had a successful time at, at Saint Etienne. You look at Wabi Kasri. You look at Remy Cabella. All of them have made suggestions, perhaps not as 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 vocal as Mvia, but all have made suggestions that Gasset is a key part of their their factor and, and decision making for staying at Saint Etienne. So so for the executive committee of Saint Etienne, and it's that executive committee where there's three or four of them 
rather than sort of one individual president, there seems to be this executive committee at Saint-Étienne who don't really ever seem to pull in the same direction. It's never, it's never ever felt a, a, a sort of cohesive, all three are working in the same direction. It's always seemed as though there's always at least one trying to take them off and not quite agreeing with the way that it's moving. And it, it, it's obviously going to make things difficult for, for a coach like Gasset who wants that certainty, wants that understanding of this is what needs to be done to the squad and I need the insurances. So it's never going to be easy. Um, it, it's, it's as I say, it's a dangerous game because this, this Saint-Étienne team who have done so well this season under Gasset, you know, with, with him with him leaving, a number of these players will leave. It's, I don't think there's any ifs or buts about this. They will leave. Yanomvir will leave. Matthew Debushi, it's been reported tonight, will leave. Um, so it, it, it's risky. You know, it's risky. And then all of a sudden, you know, we're opening the door to, you know, their big asset, if you like, is is William Saliba, the, the young centre-back who they, they've just tied up to a, a, a new contract. And then, of course, they, they dropped the bombshell of Gasset leaving. Uh, you know, Gasset has been a big fan of, of Saliba and helped his, with his development this season. With Gasset going, all of a sudden that opens the door. And we saw yesterday, the day before, Arsenal have already been linked with a, a 25 to 30 million euro move for him. They won't be alone in that. He's been you know, rumoured to have the interest of a number of clubs around Europe. So, you know, it, it potentially could turn into a very messy summer, I think, for Saint-Étienne with a number of players going, um, you know, their big prized assets going. Um, so any new coach coming into Saint-Étienne is going to find themselves facing quite an uphill task, I think. Yeah, just looking at pl- people to potentially come in at least now, and the, the, the sort of market at the moment looks like it, it's, it's pointing towards Claude Puel, who's obviously been out of a job since he left Leicester, and, and even Laurent Blanc's been, been linked. Who do you think was the right man to to take over? Because this is a different Saint-Étienne team now. It, they've they've been playing much better attacking football than they have previously under previous management regimes, and they're they're less in chaos. But at the same time, this team could look completely different in this summer so it's finding the right man uh, it is I mean Claude who has also been linked with, with Marseille and possibly that's the bigger draw though this evening Marseille been linked with Heinzer so so yeah Claude might, might be looking elsewhere and he's got a great pedigree in France so it's, it's and you see Saint-Étienne being the great club they are um, that 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 could prove a, a good move all round, and, and Puel's got such a great record bringing through uh, youth players, and, and Saint-Étienne won the Coupe on Badella this year, so as well as Saliba, they've got, they've got a lot of good young players to, to come through, so that could be an option. Um, I, I don't know if you'd want to, but I, I'd quite like Patin to be, uh, possibly to get to get another head job, head coach role. He's... Um, Certainly, in terms of Cabela, he's he's the you know, maybe if Villa is sort of Gasset's spiritual son, Cabela is his pantom, so maybe if, you know, if they're keen to keep him in that, that could be an option. Um, and if not, I mean, I don't know if he'd be tempted, but I'd, I'd love to see Lopez get a get a chance at one of the one of the really big name clubs. I think he'd respect to, to, to Strasbourg. I think. Um, he can possibly, it would be great to see what he could do in Europe. Um, Saint Etienne should be a real draw for, for, for any coach. Um, there is that, that issue with the directors, it's a bit like this push and pull and Dr. Doolittle, and those um, putting in different ways. And, and Kayat Sobermeyer and, and um, obviously Rochetor, who, who are seen to always be buying for control with each other, which, which is an issue. but the fact is that they qualified for Europe. They've got that amazing um, stadium and crowd behind them. It should be a draw. And frankly, even in terms of the players, and even those who have been threatening to leave, I'd be a bit disappointed in a few of them. I think it would show a bit of a lack of ambition. Villa, who, who, who was for the most part disappointed since you know, right at the start of his career and got those, those early bunch caps. and. and the, the whole squad has banned post 2010. He hasn't really fulfilled his potential. And, um, now, Gasset or no Gasset, I'd like some of these players to maybe show a little bit more loyalty 
um, to, to, to the club that they're, they're currently employed by, in Villa's case, the club that arguably has kind of saved his career. And, and also just show, you know, unless they get better offers elsewhere, um, show the ambition to, to want to play in Europe. I mean, they've they earned the right to be there. I think it would, uh, I think it would be a real pity, not just for Saint Etienne as a club, but for those players as well to, to possibly kind of turn down that chance to, to test themselves against you know, some of the best players and teams on the continent. Yeah, Liga is going to have a insane summer from the sounds of things, and we may even talk about uh, later in the week, maybe even a, a Marseille departure. Yet, yeah, it's not been confirmed, although reportedly Rudy Garcia has told his players that he he is uh, to leave at the end of the season. But we'll sort of still sit on that one at least anyway until the that actually happens. Let's finish this evening with our our Liga snapshots, our stories from from the week that you may not have have heard about and we've not spoken about this evening. And I'll start with yourself, Tom. What's your Liga snapshot? Well, I thought I'd pay tribute to two long-serving Liga midfielders who both bade farewell uh, to the home fans of their respective clubs today. Etienne Dido, um, uh, Gango and Yaroslav Plazil at uh, at Bordeaux. Um, And as a 30-something midfielder myself, uh, very much in the twilight of my career, it, it always saddens me to see players of about that age hanging their boots up. Um, but yes, you know, two two players who've been, uh, you know, big fixtures on the on on the league and scenery. Um, and uh, I think I'm right saying they both lost. Did they both lose at the weekend? No, Gang on Drew, didn't they? But um, yeah, so no no um, no happy send off in front of their home fans. But uh, yeah, two players who um, um, who we've got a lot of pleasure from watching these last few years. Yeah, like we mentioned before the start, I'm sure the three fans that turned up to the Bordeaux game maybe clapped <laughs> off Plasio, bless him, and maybe not the greatest send-off. Uh, Rich, what's your Liga snapshot? Uh, mine's mine's a bit of a cheat one because mine actually isn't Liga. Mine is is the Women's Champions League final. Um, took place at the weekend and the, the absolute juggernaut that is Lyon um, won again. That's their fourth Champions League success in a row. Um, swept aside Barcelona with comparative ease, 4-1. It's 4-0 at half-time. 16-minute um, hat-trick from, from Ada Hegerberg. As easy as you like, really. Um, they really took their foot off the gas. But um, in line with a, a really excellent article, actually, I read during the week from, from Rory Smith, for the, the New York Times on, you know, the, the world's best team is the team you've, you've never heard of. Um, you know, they, they really lived up to that moniker because they were absolutely dominant. Uh, and it, it's going to take something, I think, to, to stop this. As I say, that's their fourth Champions League success in a row. I think that's six in the last nine tournaments they've won. Um, they just they just are absolutely relentless. Um, you know, Hegerberg takes all the, the plaudits, but it's a real team performance. They have talent from front to back. Um, they are a real joy to watch. Jess? Uh, mine are um, a couple of LFP-related ones. The first one is that um, this weekend was the, the, the weekend that all the, the captains were due to wear uh, rainbow armbands to, to promote um, LGBT plus equality. Um, and it, I wouldn't say it turned into a, a farce. Most of the captains did wear them, but there was a kind of distraction of uh, three of them not wearing them, um, a couple ditching them, saying that they were too big and they were too small and they, they didn't fit on their bicep. Um, at Lyon, there were lots of rumours that um, both Fekir, that Fekir faked an injury because he didn't want to wear one, and that Marcelo, well, basically uh, Jeremy Morel was captain and, and Lyon kind of protested, yeah, but he's been a great servant to the club and it's his last match, but a lot of people were saying, well, Marcelo is playing, it's probably his last match, and he's vice captain, and Fakir doesn't play, and he also happens to, to support the extreme right in Brazil. And so there, there are a few rumors about how and why people are getting away without wearing it, but overall, I think it's, it's, it's a, obviously a, a great campaign and an important thing for the other to get behind. And you know, small steps, but hopefully, it's, it's something that's going to um, promote. A lot more tolerance. And the other thing, just quickly with the LFP, is that um, there were, there were um, things on social media about Dijon fans who you know, said, not only are we 
probably going to get relegated. Not only have we just been smashed 4 0, but we've now sort of suffered the, the humiliation and disappointment of being chucked out of the pub that passed and we can't even see the, the title given ceremony. And then apparently, this is some kind of LFP protocol that happens in Uganda that, that the, the away fans are sort of shipped out before the title and the trophy is given. But I, I think it's ridiculous. And I think this is a, you know, it's, it's been a bit of a sweep over the last two or three years, but it's becoming more and more of a problem just how badly away fans are treated. And there isn't really an away fan culture in France like there is in England anyway. But, you know, if they wanted to encourage that, they're going absolutely the wrong way about it with the, the bands and then this kind of thing as well. And I think it's something that, that yeah, it was strange about the the rainbow on bands. I remember seeing that that Falcao reportedly didn't wear it because it was a bit too large for his bicep. I was just thinking either get swole or or buy a stapler. Um, it seemed like a bit of a common complaint as well. It was very strange. I, I've got two quick ones. It, it looks interesting that um, yet again in the sort of uh, French papers that Anissa being linked to a potential. Um, takeover by uh, Sir Jim Radcliffe again. It, 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 supposedly the offer is much larger than market value to try and get something over the line and his interest in football and investing in it in, in French football as well and his, his love for the area would be really interesting to see what he could do with Vieira at the helm as well and, and, a, and a bit of money behind him to see what, what else could be done. And, and also finally for another sort of one on the UNF page, we always have someone that's awfully dressed. It was Memphis Depay in his marching band outfit um, last season. Um, this season, it's uh, Adil Rami, who looks uh, part pirate, um, part part cowboy, as as our Twitter feeds it. I think he looks more, much more like a pirate. He's, he's got a very good moustache, but maybe not the greatest choice of coat. At least, anyway, Pamela should maybe talk to him a little bit before there. <laughs> and he plays like he's only got one eye and one leg. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's all that we have time for this week. My thanks to Jess, Rich, Tom, and all of you listening at home. Uh, do join us for the preview show, which will be for the final weekend on Thursday. And the main show will be back at the same time, same place next week. Amianto, and goodbye.